This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. The Money Pit is presented by the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and Omaha Steaks. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And welcome to 2023. This is our first show of the new year. We are looking forward to the days and weeks ahead and helping you take on the projects you want to get done around your house. If you've got questions, if you've got plans for the new year, if you're going to do a reno, you're going to pick up a decor project, maybe you're going to finally fix something that's not working right inside your house, we would love to help. Reach out and help yourself first by calling us at 1-888-MONEYPIT or post your questions online at moneypit.com by clicking the blue microphone button. Coming up today, we've got snowstorm survival tips to help when it comes time to digging out of the white stuff. (laughs) And if you wake up in the morning with a dry, parched throat, a humidifier can help make you a lot more comfortable. We're going to highlight options to help you choose the best one for your home. And power outages happen a lot in the winter, especially with all of those winter winds and the ice storms. Don't get caught in the dark without a plan. We're going to give you a blackout survival tip list just ahead. But first, what's your home rental plan for 2023? You got a project or two maybe in mind? Well, we want to help you create your best home ever. So whether you live in a house, a condo, or an apartment, we can help you with answers to questions about remodeling, renovation, decor, Whatever it is, we'd love to help. So let's get to it. That number again is 888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974, or post your questions at moneypit.com. Leslie, who's first? Heading over to Mississippi, where we've got Donna on the line, dealing with a worn-out driveway. What are you looking to do? My driveway is partly crumbled, partly scored, partly rusted on. Can you put a black top surface on top of a concrete surface? And have it hold up. Hey, Donna. So I can definitely see how that might make seem to make some sense, putting blacktop over concrete. But it really is not going to work because the way you build either a driveway made of concrete or a driveway made of blacktop is entirely different. So you can't mix the two. So you're going to have to, if you want to go blacktop, you have to take out the driveway that's there. And then you have to put in the right layers because blacktop driveways are made up over layers. And they're usually at least five or six inches thick by the time you're done. But they put in different layers. They start with a stone base. Then they roll that stone base with a tool that packs it down really, really tightly. It's almost as tight as as hard as a road when the stone base is down. Wait, you forgot the part where they wait four weeks because they want it to settle. (laughs) And then you drive Well. Yeah, but I don't, I've never had that. When I've done, when I've done driveways, we've always rolled them and then put the blacktop on all in one oh my gosh. time. And Our contractor made us wait four weeks minimum so that it settles and it gets rain, you drive on it. I have to say that anybody that makes you wait all the time is not doing a really good job on the base because if you put the base in right, you shouldn't have any of that happening. I mean, it was super firm, but th- that was their thing. 
Well, maybe that's that's their thing. But that's not what I did, and, and I don't think you necessarily have to do that as a matter of course. Uh, this, the driveway, the asphalt itself, I was starting to say, there's different grades of it. So you want to get one that's about a medium grade, because if you try to get one that's too smooth, it's not very strong. And the medium grade has, has bigger pebbles in it, and it locks together very, very nicely and lasts a long time. So you can't put it on top of the concrete. You have to take the old concrete off or out and start again from scratch. And I will say switching from concrete to the blacktop, it's gorgeous. What a big difference it made. It just made the house look sharp. I love it. Yeah, and I should also mention that the concrete is not in horrible shape. It could be resurfaced. There's a product called Recap that Quickrete makes that is designed specifically for that. You could add a layer of this Recap product on top of the old concrete and give it a fresh new surface. So that's another option for you as well. We've got AJ on the line who's dealing with a newish house, about nine years old, and it seems to be getting a lot of movement and some cracks are forming. What's going on? There are now some cracks starting to show up in a few places, and the front door is jammed. It does not open, and various places, the large screws and nails are starting to show up on the wall. I have a feeling that the house is shifting. I don't know why, because it's only nine years old. And I was wondering if you have seen or heard anything like that and what you might be able to recommend to me. Well, AJ, the fact that you've been there for nine years, I presume it's you that have been in the house for nine years uh, and are seeing this now means there may be something new happening that's causing this kind of movement. Certainly a door that sticks, uh, a door that uh, needs to be adjusted from season to season, not unusual, but if it's all happening at the same time, then I think it warrants deeper uh, investigation. The fact that you've got uh, walls that have uh, nail pops, very, very common, even some cracks around openings, around where there's intersections of walls and ceilings and that sort of stuff, also very common. But again, since it's happening all at the same time, I think the best way to get into this and find out if there's something to be concerned of is for you to hire a professional home inspector to do an inspection of the house, of these areas, and give an opinion as to whether or not this is an active problem or not, or hire a structural engineer to do the, the same thing. That's the first question is, is it active uh, or is it just normal expansion and contraction? The other thing I would say to look out for is whether or not there's been some change, especially with respect to drainage around the house. Sometimes when you get a lot of water that accumulates around a foundation perimeter, even from something as simple as a perennially blocked gutter, that water gets under the foundation and allows some shifting to occur because the, the wet soil gives way and lets the building move more than it would if it was dry. That could be a, a contributing cause. But if it's nothing obvious like that, I would definitely call, call a professional and get it evaluated so that you'll know what to do. I can't really speculate today beyond that, but those are the typical reasons that these problems develop. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than a 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. 
and they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Marsha in Illinois needs some help getting a window unstuck. Tell us about it. I have a window over my sink in my kitchen, so I have to lean over the sink to raise this window. And uh, it's always been extremely hard to get up or down. And uh, I, I just don't know what to do with it. I, I think I've tried uh, WD-40. Is this a wood window, Marsha? Yes, it's a wood window. So probably over the years, it's gotten bigger, swollen in its place, and it's gotten tighter in the jams. And I'll presume with paint, too, over the years that that didn't make it any better. So why don't you think about a replacement window? I mean, look, we can talk to you about taking this whole window apart and sanding down the jams and sanding down the sashes and making it easier to use and replacing the cords and the balance and all that work. But I think this would be a good time to treat yourself to a replacement window. You don't have to do all the windows in the house. You know, you can buy a double-hung replacement window in a home center today for a couple hundred bucks, and it's a pretty good quality window. So you may want to think about replacing just this one window, or in the alternative, you can pull the trim off, you can take the sashes apart, and you could sand them and sand them well, and that will make them a little bit smaller all the way around and make them easier to operate. And, of course, also make sure that the balances are working. Now, if it's an old wood window, you may have cords or chains that go up, and you want to make sure that they're still attached because that gives you a little bit of of assistance as you open and close the window. Okay. Well, um, I appreciate your advice. I'm... uh I guess I'll have to invest in a new window. I, I think it's going to be easier than all the work it would take to get the old window working. And I'm all for easy. And that's why I suggest that. Okay, Marcia? Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Now, look, if you got these old windows, I mean, you can work on them and put eight, 10 hours into a window, and sure, it'll be just as good as new. But why? You know, it's still going to be an old, drafty wood window when you can go buy a double pane vinyl clad window replacement window that slips inside the existing opening and just have better energy efficiency and a window that really works tilt in to clean you know the works just doesn't make any sense yeah, you're still gonna have to reach over that sink it's just gonna be easier to work exactly so you live in a place where snow is pretty common this time of year but you don't have a garage Yeah, it's a pain, I know, to clear the snow and ice off of the car, but it's got to be done. In fact, some states, it's illegal to drive around with a car that is not cleared off. I mean, quite frankly, it's dangerous to drive that way. Yeah, I hate that. And I hate being behind somebody who leaves the snow piled up on the roof only to come flying off and hitting my windshield. And at that time, it's like sheets of ice. Exactly. So look, here's some advice. First, if you've got a long driveway, get ready before the storm hits by parking at the end of it. I'm amazed how many people forget this and they end up having to shovel the entire driveway to get the car out. No, we go like bumper to bumper right up at the end of the driveway to make sure we could get out. And this is going to make that distance you need to shovel a lot less. Now, the same goes for a parking space in a condo or an apartment complex. Grab a spot near the complex exit. If you can, you'll be the first one to get back on the road. 
Yeah, here's another trick. Put your windshield wipers up, you know, like sticking up off of the car so they don't freeze to the car window. Also, use a long-handled broom to get that snow off of the top of your car before you open the door. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a heap of wet snow, like falling right onto the seat. I actually had my rear windshield on my SUV crack because I put up the front windshield wipers, but I forgot to do the back one or the wind blew it down or something like that. And it did crack. It froze to the windshield and then it caused it to crack. So that is definitely an important tip. Also, don't forget to clear snow around your headlights and your taillights. If your driver door is frozen shut, try all the doors. There may be ones facing the sun where the ice has already started to melt and you can always use a lock the icer for a frozen lock or even WD-40. All right, now what should you be keeping in your car in the event you get stuck in the snow or a storm comes in unexpectedly? Well, you want to make sure that you have a snow kit ready to go, and that should include a scraper, a small shovel or broom, mittens or gloves, and maybe even an extra pair of boots. So you want to make sure you've got the ability to dig out your car and clean off the car, but also be warm. And remember, in just a few months, you'll be complaining about how hot your car's interior is, so enjoy the chilly weather while we have it. It is pretty. It's (laughs) uncomfortable, but it is pretty. It's the best. Also, no one's ever happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we've got Henry on the line who wants to talk about something going on in the garage. Why don't you tell us about it? Currently, I have a overhead natural gas heater. Uh, It's quite expensive to operate on a uh, regular basis. Um, My garage has approximately uh, 12 inches of uh, fiberglass insulation uh, overhead. The walls are insulated. I didn't know whether to uh, keep what I currently have or would it be perhaps wise to go to an electric heater that would provide sufficient heat. So I think you're going to find that the cost of operating the electric heater is going to be even more than operating the gas heater. How big is your garage? Approximately 800 square feet. Oh, it's a pretty big garage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Almost so, uh, a three-car garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've got a 20 by 30 garage myself, and what I did to heat that is I have one kerosene heater. Now, it's not just a kerosene heater. To explain, I put insulation in the ceiling like you did, and I put foam uh, actually used, used uh, foam boards in between the floor joists, like the, the thermal insulation that's like foil-faced foam. I also closed off the opening to, like, the attic storage space above it so I wouldn't have all the heat rush up there. And then I improved the weather stripping around the doors and around the windows the same I would if I was doing something, uh, you know, for the regular part of the house. And I found that uh, this particular heater that I used, it was rated for that size space, and it did a really good job of, of, first of all, taking that cold edge off. And if I leave it running long enough, it warms the whole place up. So I found that to be and a more affordable way than, and actually a smaller, more convenient way to heat the garage because I'm not heating it all the time. You know, I might go out there on a weekend and do some projects. So I just wanted something I could turn on and turn off. Those big space heaters, big gas-fired forced air space heaters that hang from the ceiling, there is nothing efficient about that, nothing at all. They just, they use, some of those use as much, use gas as the, as the heating system that heats your entire house. The only other alternative I would suggest would be kerosene. But if you try to go electric, those electric heaters are going to be just as expensive to operate. Okay, well, thank you very much for the suggestion. I'm certainly going to check it out.
Nadine in Iowa has an interesting question. Your countertop has gotten noisy. Tell us what's going on. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, we had it installed, I would say, between three and five years ago. And right after we had this Corian counter installed, we started getting very sharp, loud bangs occasionally. And I mean like somebody just shot at the house bangs. And it has been going on since we had it installed to varying degrees, louder sometimes than others, but they've been out to check and can't figure it out. And, you know, I don't, it, the only unusual thing that happened when they put it in was that one corner didn't want to go down, so the guy had to put his full weight on it to push it down and finally make it go, go down. And my feeling is oh, something must be bound in there that every once in a while builds up enough energy to really snap. Well, that's certainly an unusual situation because countertops aren't known for their noise. You know, okay. we, get, we get squeaky floor questions. We get uh, banging pipe questions. I don't think we've ever gotten a loud countertop question. No, that's <laughs> well, I, I doubt that it's the countertop. My, I, my feeling is something might be bound in there, you know, having been caused by having the countertop put on. Well, you might be correct. And what could be happening is that you could have expansion and contraction going on either with the walls or even with the plumbing, you know, um, especially with the, with the water being right there. When uh, a pipe heats up, it tends to expand. And if it's attached to the framing uh, very, very tightly, it will rub across that framing, and it could make a, a creaking sound or a banging sound. Okay. And and I've heard that before in bathrooms and also in kitchens. Okay. The other thought is that if the countertop is bound, as you say, against part of the frame of the house and you're getting expansion and contraction, that could be the source of the sound. Although I tend to think that even though it's annoying, it probably isn't isn't really very damaging if it's one of the other of those things. No, I don't think it's damaging at all. It's just that when you have guests and their eyes get wide and <laughs> They start to go for the floor. You you think maybe, I mean, it is quite loud when it does it. So you think it could possibly be plumbing. It could very well be because, you know, plumbing uh, really carries the sound. And especially if you're running a dishwasher and the hot water comes on, that could cause an, a noise. However, we've kind of checked that out, you know, what's on, what's running, and all of that, and that doesn't seem to p- come into play. What, what would your suggestion be as to sleuthing this problem out? Well, I guess I would have to be sitting there staring at it, thinking about it for a long time. But um, reinstalling the countertop would probably be the best solution, although it's a boatload of work and you could potentially damage the countertop in the process. If they had to really squeeze it in, I suspect that something is a little bit too tight in its intention and it's really not designed to be pulled out. All right. Thanks so much. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. 
and its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. All right, now we're going to talk to Kevin about spray foam insulation. Tell us about your project. Which type of spray foam open cell or closed cell you should be using on new construction for the inside ceiling and the inside slash outside walls. So first of all, spray foam is a great choice, Kevin. You know, the fact of the matter is that not only does it seal, it insulates, it expands and it seals all those gaps. But when it comes to open cell versus closed cell, the main difference is the ability of moisture to get in there. You know, in my area of the country, um, along the ocean where we build a lot of houses, the builders tend to use a lot of closed cell spray foam insulation because it completely locks out any moisture. But open cell insulation is just as effective in certain areas. Now, when I did my attic in my house, I used open cell. I didn't really have a need to use closed cell. But if I was doing like a crawl space that was over soil and it was exposed to a lot of moisture, then I think I would use closed. So I think it really comes down to the moisture question. Both products are going to do a good job sealing and insulating. And both products are going to have comparable R values depending on the thickness that they apply. But if you have a really damp area, I would probably go with closed cell over open cell. I hope that helps you out. Shawnee in North Carolina needs some help with a backyard problem. What's going on at your money pit? All my room, when it would rain, all the water would drain toward the back because it's on a downslope. Right. And then I had some a contractor come in and connect all my downspouts and all to this black pipe, and they connected all of it and ran it out to one source toward the you know that little creek. And in doing so, I mean everything was fine; it worked fine. And they thought where I was having such water problem. They sort of made a horseshoe out of the black pipe with the styrofoam, you know, peanuts and all of that in it. But what they did when they dug around the horseshoe area, they found that that was dry because they figured if it was wet, it would drain and take care of the problem. But when they put that horseshoe in, wherever they put it, it was completely dry and it was further down that they realized that I had underground spring. 
So all of my drain pipes, everything's draining perfectly, but it's one little problem I had with that underground spring. But is that underground spring rising up to the point where the yard is flooding? And how much how much flooding are we talking about here? Uh, it's not necessarily flooding, but it it's stays so wet. wet I can't mow it. And there's a place about, uh, I'm going to say, 12 inches square, squarish maybe, that is has puddled. I don't think this is a problem worth solving. I think it's a fairly small area of the yard, and, and areas of the yard that get soft like that, yeah, the grass can be hard to cut sometimes. Sometimes you have to cut it by hand instead of using a, a you know power mower on it. But I don't think it's worth you doing anything about it. You would have to do some major, major work to try to uh, take the water that's collecting there, run it downstream, and have it sit somewhere else. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a big issue. Shawnee, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel like you've got a dry, parched throat? If that's the case, you know, a built-in whole house humidifier could make you a lot more comfortable. But there's several types of humidifiers available. So how do you know which one is the best for your situation? Well, when it comes to being comfortable, I think a lot of people think it comes down to the temperature in your home, but that's only part of the issue. Humidity is a really important element for comfort. That's why, you know how hot water systems, they can be a lot more comfortable if you have, if you have hot water radiators or you have steam radiators. That heat is a lot more comfortable in forced air because the hot water systems don't dry out the air, but the forced air systems do. All right, so if you're finding that your entire house feels a little on the dry side and you want to maybe add more moisture to the entire house, you're going to need a whole house humidifier. Or, I mean, you could do it with portable room-type humidifiers, right? Well, you could, but there would be an awful lot of them. Plus, they're just not nearly as efficient. So a whole house humidifier is the way to go. The whole house systems are going to be mounted on the return side of, and typically we're talking about forced air systems here, right? So the, if you have a hot water system, as I said before, you're not going to need this. But if you've got forced air, then you would. And this would be mounted in the duct on the return side, so where the air is going back to be reheated. And there's really... Uh, a couple of different types. There's a flow-through type, and then there's a drum type. Now, with flow-through, the water drips out at the top of the humidifier, and then it, and it drips and flows through a pad. That kind of is a vertical pad that's inside this square box. And as that water drips through, the air blows over it, it releases moisture into the air, and it's humidified. The drum type is similar to that, except you have sort of a another shape of a humidifier that's like round on the bottom that's filled with water. And you have like a drum that rolls around like a regular drum would, and it picks up moisture, and then the air blows across it. Typically, I like the flow-through type best. The drum-type humidifiers tend to wear out more quickly. They seem like they get a lot more gummed up by the mineral salts that get stuck in there, and they're just not nearly as easy to take care of. So I think flow-through is definitely the way to go. So, I mean, we already know that the drum-type ones can be challenging to care and clean for, but how do you care for any other type of humidifier? I mean, is there a regular maintenance we should be doing? Yeah, I mean, definitely for both types of humidifiers, you're definitely going to have to do some maintenance. So you're going to shut it down, you're going to empty any water, and then you're going to clean out all of those salts. And a little trick for that is to use white vinegar and water that will melt away any salts that are, you know, you're having a hard time getting out. You can even vacuum away a lot of the salts. And then you need to question whether you need to actually replace the media or not. And with a drum-type humidifier, it's like a pad, like almost like a spongy pad, and that gets replaced pretty frequently, maybe twice a season. The flow-through type, that is a lot more durable, and that's going to last you you know, probably at least two or three years, I would think. And if that was the case, I would take that out, and I would soak it in a vinegar and water solution that's loosen up all those mineral deposits, put it back together, and you'll be good to go. It might smell a little bit like vinegar when you first turn on the system, but that won't last for very long.
Heading out to Michigan, where we've got Ed on the line, who's dealing with a driveway that's cracking up a little bit. What's happening? The uh, concrete driveway is uh, has a slight slope to it, and at the uh, expansion joint, uh, where two sections meet, it's beginning to uh, separate a little bit. I was wondering if there was something that I could uh, do, perhaps. I didn't know whether some foam would fit in there and put caulking over it, or do you have some other suggestion? Sure, Ed. So the space that is, you say it's cracking, it's really just separating. It's an expansion joint. Does that have like a tar, uh, a piece of tar backer in it right now? Usually it's like a tar piece that's about half inch wide and four or five inches tall. Is it, is it got anything like that in there now? Uh, no, it's uh, basically uh, uh, seams, so to speak, that they put in okay. there, you know, to uh, avoid cracking someplace right. else. But there's no other material in there, so it's just two slabs separating. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So very simple solution here, and that is what you're going to do is you're going to first clean that out. There's going to be dirt and grime, sometimes moss in there. Go ahead and clean that space out. Then you're going to insert what's called a backer rod. It's like a foam tube, and they come in different diameters. You want to buy one that's bigger than the gap, so it has some side pressure to hold it in place. And you insert that into that space there, and you want to insert it down so it's about a maybe about three-quarters of an inch or an inch below the surface. Then on top of that, you are going to apply a flowable urethane caulk or sealant, and that's going to flow across that backer rod and then sort of lock to both sides of the concrete. And this way, when you're done and it's nice and dry, that uh, concrete driveway will expand and contract along that expansion joint and not pull apart anymore. Now, the reason you're putting the backer rod in there, because if you don't, you're going to waste a heck of a lot of sealant. <laughs> It'll just going to fall into the bottom of the hole. So you put the backer right. rod in first, and then you're only filling the area above it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Very good. I certainly appreciate it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we've all seen the news stories about entire towns without power for days at a time. But if a powerful winter storm were to leave you without power, what should you do? Well, number one, don't go using candles. You want to invest in some good flashlights. You want to keep them handy. Always have them in the same spot. And remember to check and change the batteries often. Yep. And during an outage, remember, power down appliances and don't restart them until the electricity has been restored for at least a half hour or so. This way, the utility company can stabilize the power grid and avoid another blackout. That's why sometimes when the power comes on, it goes off again. Then it comes on, then it goes off again. Because everybody is running to turn back on appliances. And whether it be ovens or air conditioners or dishwashers or whatever, 
and the power company hasn't been able to stabilize that grid yet. So give them a break, wait about a half hour, then repower the house. All right, next. You want to open your refrigerator all the time under regular circumstances. Like, you got to see what's inside. Perhaps it's different from the time you looked at it two seconds ago. But when there's no power... Don't open that fridge. You want to eat food from the refrigerator first and the freezer later. I mean, every time you open it, think about it. That cool air gets out. It's going to get warmer. So just keep it closed. Your frozen items can last several days. So keep those in there and use the fridge stuff first. Now, avoid becoming a victim of carbon monoxide poisoning. Never, ever run a gas-powered generator indoors or even in your open garage or super close to an open window. you got to be careful about the location you choose. Yeah, and also important, you want to avoid cooking with charcoal or propane in any enclosed area. We've heard about folks that do that, even in an open garage, and, yeah. and in filling up the entire house. Why do house. people think they can bring the grill inside I don't all know. of a sudden? They, just, they consider it outside, but it's not. It goes into the house. And uh, it can fill the entire house with carbon monoxide and make you sick or worse. So if you plan on heading over to a relative's home to wait it out, remember that the street lights and traffic lights are also going to be on the blink and approach those intersections with caution. All right. Now we've got Cheryl in Texas on the line who's looking to redo a bathroom and make it more modern with just a shower. How can we help you? Well, um, I am the mother of four sons, and as they get bigger, they no longer like to get in the bathtub. And <laughs> right. okay. we find that they are always in my room in my shower. We're wanting to um, take out the tub that's in their bathroom and turn it into a shower. My issue is I don't have a lot of space. Um, it's a Hollywood bath, and then the tub and toilet are in a separate little room that you can close off. Mm-hmm. And the door facing um, of that little room sits right next to the tub itself. So my question is, is when I pull that tub out, the plan was to put a, you know, a shower pan down and, and tile the area and then put a, a glass door, either a sliding door, door on there. Um, will that be a wide enough space if it's only the width of a standard tub? Cheryl, I think you definitely can find a shower pan that can fit the width of that tub sort of elbow to elbow if you're standing in it. I mean, think about it. If you're in the tub, you're taking a shower, right? you got room on, on the, to the right and to the left of you. So we want a shower pan that essentially is the same size. Now, when it comes to residential prefabricated shower pans, they start at around 24 by 24, so that's two foot square. You know, that would be probably, you know, the smallest that you would need, but you might be able to go up even bigger. But a little trick of the trade, if you were to find, for example, that for whatever reason, the way this room is configured, a 24 by 24 would not work, then you should shop for a smaller shower pan, which you will find sold for RVs, recreational vehicles, because they have tiny showers in them, right? And there's a whole host of RV shower pans that are smaller than 24 by 24. I don't think you're going to need it. I think you'll be fine starting there, maybe even going up. But the size of the shower pan is what you want to figure out first. Then you can basically build around that. Okay, does that make sense? Sure, sure. That's what I want to do. Okay. All right, Cheryl. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Gina in Buffalo has reached out to Team Money Pit. Now, here's what she writes. In the last few years, my 12-year-old house has developed dark areas where the sheetrock was screwed to the trusses. This is only at the outer edges where the ceiling meets the wall. I assume it has something to do with the cold winters. Should I be worried? Should I seal the spots? Should I paint? Help! 
You know, we've heard of this over the years, and a lot of times people think it's mold that's growing, the dreaded mold. But really, what this is, is simply condensation. And here's what's going on. So you have warm air inside your house, and it's especially bad if you like to burn candles, because that lets a lot of carbon into the air. And that warm air is going to is going to go up, right? It's going to rise. And as it rises, it sort of hits the ceiling, and then it condenses and releases some of the moisture. And that moisture can be tainted with either just regular dust and dirt, or in the case of somebody who burns a lot of candles, you know, a lot of soot. And the area where the truss is, or the edge of the board is, is not as warm as the area to the left and the right of it. Because you think about how a ceiling is framed, right? You have a truss, then you have about 14 or 15 inches of insulation, then you have another truss, and so on. And so those edges are sort of like a direct thermal connection to the exterior, to an unheated space. So they're always going to be colder, and that's why you get the stripes and not just a big, whole, you know, blotchy black type of ceiling. You're just going to get it where those beams are. So that's basically what's going on here. It's, we call it ghosting. And there's really nothing, you know, to be done about it. If you want to uh, cover that, I would prime it first. And we definitely use a primer and then I would paint over it. And if you also want to reduce it, you could put more insulation in the attic and make sure you're using insulation that covers the top of those trusses. You could use unfaced bats and just lay them right down across the existing insulation. All right. Hope that helps you out there, Gina. Now we've got one from Erica in Oregon, and she writes, I have a very large tree between my house and my detached garage, so large that cutting it down does not seem like an option without damaging one of the structures. What's the best way to safely remove this tree? Have you ever seen like those tree removal guys, how they climb up the tree (laughs) with chainsaws and all kinds of dangerous things while they're just like hanging from a branch? I'm like, we took down a huge tree from the front lawn that had been, you know, sick and then was falling apart. And we worried about it falling onto the house. And truly, I remember the day they came to take that down. I was like, I want to watch this, but I'm also terribly afraid to watch it. (laughs) I had a tree that was about 20 feet from the side of our house. It was a beautiful maple tree. And I got to tell you, I love that tree. I really did. And over the years, it started to get sick. And then it was starting rotting out internally. And then I noticed some of the branches were breaking off. And they were right over the power lines. I'm like, ugh. Broke my heart, but it had to go. Had the same concerns, but I knew how it would be dealt with. And that was because when you hire a pro, this is definitely, definitely not a DIY project. When you hire a pro, a tree removal company comes out with one of their standard pieces of equipment, a truck with a crane, right? And that crane basically goes up and they tie off the upper branches and then they cut them and they lift them up. They don't drop them down. They lift them up. They can lift them over houses, over wires, and then gently lift them down the street where they can be cut up. And they just basically disassemble the tree from the top down. This is not like... You know, a lumberjack comes and cuts the bottom and it falls over and you hope that it misses the house. No, they disassemble it from the top down. It's a very smooth professional process and that's absolutely the way to handle a tree that's growing between your house and your garage. Yeah, and Erica, you know what? Just be smart. Hire a pro. They'll get the job done safely. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Wishing you each and all a very happy new year filled with lots of luck and lots of love and lots of exciting home improvement projects for which we will be there to help. Until then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Happy New Year, everybody. Pit. 
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.